Well, good morning, everybody. Uh, good to see you all here, and for those of you who are uh, worshiping online, uh, grateful for this day to get together. And uh, on Friday, I wrote a newsletter article, and I talked about being back to, and uh, this is typically the time that we would be back to all sorts of different things, and that is sort of the case. And so um, even what has uh, typically been a backpack blessing uh, the second weekend in September uh, we shifted this year to be a backpack blessing because there are or back to school blessing because there are less uh, backpacks at least currently in use um, maybe and so but we continue um, to have the same mandate that's in front of us the same uh, kingdom vision as far as what it means to be the people of God faithful inside of the todays and so I want to thank you for uh, your faithfulness as a church whether it's uh, just in your ongoing giving, and, you know, if you've given towards uh, the, the Wawa cards, just to say to our uh, teachers in our community that we are for them and that we are with them. I also just want to remind you to keep in prayer, um, you know, for Angie and for Jack as they seek to plan how do we best do children's and youth ministry uh, in and through St. John's uh, this fall. It's going to look different, but we also know that um, we need to be involved inside of our community and inside the lives of our kids now more than ever, and so we're looking for just new and creative ways to do that. Um, I would also ask that you just keep um, Heather in prayer. She starts um, at uh, St. John's Nursery School, and as we move towards a start for school there the week of October 12th, uh, pray for the teachers, for the aides, for uh, parents who were signed up, for just all the different moving parts and anxieties and um, even just all the things that make this year uh, what it is. And that's what I want to talk to you about uh, a little bit today. I mentioned last week that uh, it's not really a series as much as it is a collection of three messages as we start the year. Uh, typically in the past, we've done uh, kind of a, a rally day around, you know, the backpack blessing and then uh, some type of vision Sunday and then kicked off our fall sermon series at the end of the month. And so that's still the case in, in the sense of our uh, fall series, God Moments, will uh, kick off the last week in September. So for these three weeks... We're thinking about what it means to prioritize faith this fall. And uh, let me just uh, tell you, I'm actually going to ask something from, from you. I would like to annoy you over the next week by hitting you with the same piece of information probably in three or four different ways. So this is one of the things where the biggest compliment you could offer me is next Sunday when you come to church uh, or, you know, to drop me an email and say that you, uh, I got the message and you have succeeded in annoying me. That would be a positive thing next week. And so this week, you're going to receive a letter in the mail, you're going to see things on social media, and you're going to receive a couple of emails that are going to talk to you about this idea of what it means to prioritize faith this fall, specifically in terms of um, you being intentional to have a plan, to make a plan, to think through where you are as families, as individuals, because this year will be different than last year, and we highlighted a couple reasons why that was the case last week. Uh, of just what makes the context that we're in now so much different. Uh, the need, you know, to be intentional, that um, it's so possible just to drift and to do just what comes naturally or what we feel like doing or what we don't feel like doing. Uh, but this is a year that we have to be intentional. This is not a year where one-size-fits-all works. What I mean by one-size-fits-all is uh, I would stand up here or somebody else would stand up and say, Hooray, it's the fall, so let me tell you all the things that are going on. We have these Sunday school classes. We have open small groups here and there. We have this event. We have that event. We have youth group. We have children's ministry. There is something for everybody. We just need you to come join us. 
some of those things are going to happen, some of those things are not going to happen. And so what we want to do instead is not have a, we put out the menu of options and then you come join us. Instead, what does it look like to resource you to prioritize your faith? One of the other reasons for this is uh, what we've realized over the past uh, several months really is that there's going to be no grand reopening date. It seems funny now, but we said, you know, it's probably going to be Easter. We're going to shut down for a few weeks, but on Easter Sunday morning, it is the triumphant return of the church, and we'll be back by Easter, and uh, we were so silly back then, you know, in, in the spring. Then, I'll, I'll be honest, and, and I mentioned this to you last week, that I thought it was going to be today. I thought we would come through the summer months, and then kind of in, in the return to fall, last week was Labor Day weekend, but September 13th would be the day that it would be back to normal. And um, that seems almost as silly as Easter, you know, was. And so now we don't know, and, it, and it's complicated, and I don't even know what piece of evidence or what event would happen that would say, all clear, we're good, it's over, COVID-19 is in the rearview mirror, and now we can go about our normal lives if that date ever happens. Like many of you, it's going to be a slow roll where some of you are here today for the first time. Some of you came last week. Some of you came two weeks ago. And as we try to figure out uh, when and how we feel comfortable re-engaging, uh, this becomes a reality. We're all in different places. You have different health concerns than I do. You have different weekly schedules, ages of your kids, you know, ways in which you feel about things. And, and then you add in, you know, like, you know, politics and things inside of culture. And so, like, you know, how you feel about masks and how you feel about schools and how you feel about, you know, you know governors and how you feel about rules and laws and all those different things that we're not going to get into now. We're all at different places in this, but it's important that we be the church together, but also that we develop a strategy and be intentional of what it means for us. How am I going to prioritize faith this fall? How is our family going to prioritize faith this fall? So rather than the menu of options that comes out from the church and saying, come and join us, we're saying, here, we want you to prioritize your faith this fall, and then you tell us how we can help you, how we can resource you, how we can equip you to do that. Specifically, there's going to be a one-page uh, sheet that you're going to get that has six questions. And the first question is, how comfortable am I to returning to in-person activity? Most likely, your answer is going to be completely comfortable or mostly comfortable. There are some, especially those who are worshiping online now, who are going to say, I'm not ready yet. And that's okay. And that kind of affects then how you answer the, the other remaining questions. The remaining questions focus on what it means to prioritize faith. How will I prioritize worship? How will I make room inside of my life for growth to take place? How do I continue to value relationships that we don't do this Christian thing on our own, but we need people? And so whether that's in person, whether that's on Zoom, whether that's on phone calls, whether that's distance over coffee, how am I going to make room for relationships in my life? And then the fourth one is service or ministry. Maybe the ways that you are accustomed to serving either don't exist anymore or you don't feel comfortable serving in that way. It is not optional for you to serve. In fact, I would say that if you're not giving yourself away in some manner, we become stopped up. We become self-focused. It becomes easy for it to be all about just me and my and what's going on and my worries and my concerns. But there's something that happens when you give and when you give of yourself and you invest in somebody else, your eyes go off of you and on to how God would have you see the world. So it's important that we do all those things. Worship, 
uh, make room for growth inside of our life, value relationships, and serve, give, minister in such a way. And so this sheet's going to walk you through what is your plan for doing that. And where you need help, ask us. We, we would love to kind of help resource you. Or if you have a creative idea or you're really just stuck, to walk through that. And then the final question says, where do I want to be three months from now? When we're approaching Christmas, what do I want my life to look like? What area do I want to attack? Where's one area that I want to see growth happen, progress happen? And just to think through that. And these six questions, there is nothing magical about them. There's maybe you could come up with better questions on your own. Uh, You can make up your own sheet if you think it's better. But we want to just help you think through, how do I be intentional in light of all this stuff going on? What is my strategy to prioritize my faith this fall? So you're going to see that in a few different ways. My hope is to annoy you by this time next Sunday. Uh, But I think it's important that we become saturated in this and we do this. So last week when we talked about uh, Jesus turning water into wine, we made three statements that when inside of this context, when they were out of resources and they didn't know where to turn next, and and in the midst of of a time of need, they brought their needs to Jesus. They offered him what they had even though it seemed meager at the time. And then we said, Mary's advice becomes timeless. Just do what he tells you to do. Just Christian growth can be boiled down to, prioritizing faith can be boiled down to, just do what he tells you to do. And instead of sitting back wondering and waiting, what's God want me to do? What's God want me to do? Jesus has spoken clearly inside of scripture. Read Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John because there are plenty of things that he told us to do that we probably haven't finished all of them yet. Just do what he tells you to do. So that, that's kind of where we are in this, this idea of what it means to prioritize faith this fall. And so what I want to do just for a couple of minutes this morning is I want to take a, uh, a couple of moments just to try to um, unravel a little bit or at least challenge you a little bit in one of your favorite Bible verses. If we were to take a survey here, what your, your favorite scriptures are, your life verses, your memory verses... Um, I think there's one that maybe perhaps we need to read a little bit deeper, a little bit more thoroughly. Uh, So I don't want to uh, challenge that in such a way that you remove that as a life verse. I don't think that's where I'm going, but uh, I think that there's a little bit deeper dimension than what we would typically think about. And so the verse that's this, this would probably be, out of of 10 of you, uh, at least two or three would have this as one of your top five verses. Jeremiah 29, 11, let's read it out loud together. For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans to prosper you and not to harm you, plans to give you hope and a future. Top five list of memory verses, scripture verses, how many would say this is in my top five? All right, see, so that's a number of us. And again, I'm not trying to destroy that, but I think that there's, when we use this verse, we tend to use it in a particular context or set of contexts. This is on the card that we send to the graduate. The person that's graduating high school, and what we really mean is, I want nothing but the best for you inside of your life, for I know the plans I have for you, plans to prosper you, not to harm you, to give you hope in the future, here's $50, love, so-and-so. This might be a card that you send to somebody that was just baptized, or in the birth of a new baby. This is something that when somebody says, I don't know what God's will or God's plan for my life is, we quote Jeremiah 29, 11. And I don't think we intentionally try to do this, but I think unintentionally sometimes we say to people when we quote this verse is, God only wants great things for you. If you trust God and God is for you and God is with you, 
then everything is going to go your way. Everything's going to turn out fine. Everything is going to turn out with your health and your wealth and your prosperity in mind. And, and I don't want to draw theological swords, but you know, one of the things that like, becomes troublesome about the prosperity gospel is the fact that we equate faith in Jesus and God's presence with us to mean that it's going to transform every situation not just for my good, but for my satisfaction and for my enjoyment and for my approval. And if we're not careful, we begin to evaluate God on the basis of my circumstances. If we're not careful, we begin to evaluate God's performance based on my satisfaction. And we live in this kind of instant culture where I tell you, you are doing a good job if you make me feel good. You are doing a good job if I am satisfied by the product that you offer. And so we've brought that into our faith, and we use a verse and we say, surely, you know, if God is good, and if God is with me, and if God is for me, then I know that he has good things in store, plans to prosper me and not to harm me and to give me hope and a future. And I think all the ways that we use this verse are fine, except for the fact that we want to be careful that we don't subtly send to other people or to our own selves a message that says, trust God and only good things will happen. Trust God and everything's going to be okay. Trust God and realize that a good God would only have good things for you. And the reality is, you and I both know that some of our greatest times of growth have been in those valley moments where things haven't been awesome. You and I know that sometimes bad things happen to good and to faithful people. You and I know that, that faith in Jesus Christ for the first century Christians meant a death sentence for them at some point inside of their life, some very soon and some a little bit later in life. But they all, all the people who put their pen at the bottom of a letter in scripture, most of them ended up laying down their life for the sake of the gospel. God wants good things for you, and God wants good things for me, and, and the blessing of God is evident, and I could go back and look over my life and talk about all the different ways, that, the things I could not have imagined where God has brought me and provided and took me. But it begins to cross the line when I think, if God really is for me, then this shouldn't be happening, and this shouldn't be happening, and this should happen, and why is it that he gets to succeed, and I don't, and why does he look good at the end of this scenario, and I don't, and we begin to evaluate God on the basis of what is happening to me and for me. And so Jeremiah is known as the weeping prophet. Jeremiah's uh, ministry takes place at the time at the very tail end of the nation of Judah. And so for Jeremiah, his message was a difficult one. His message was a hard one. His message was when everybody else was saying, all, all the religious leaders were saying, you know, God is for you, this is going to work out fine, God's going to rescue us, and Jeremiah was saying, no, the Babylonians are coming, and they're going to cart us off, and this land that we've claimed as our own is eventually not going to be our land for a little while, and it's going to be difficult, and it's going to be tough, but God's still on the throne, and Jeremiah was ridiculed, and they attempted to kill him, and they mocked him, and they accused him of blasphemy. And all sorts of things that happened inside of Jeremiah's life. Because he sought to be faithful to deliver a message that was difficult. 
See, Jeremiah said that we've been rebellious as a people. We've sinned. We've fallen short. And because of that, there is judgment that's going to take place. But God still has an ultimate plan that's so much bigger than what we could see, what we could even comprehend in terms of what he's going to do. There's 52 chapters in Jeremiah. I know that clearly because right now I'm reading the Bible through a year. By the way, it's taken me a, longer than a year. That's a confession of a pastor. And, and it's not because I'm, I could spiritualize that and say I'm trying to savor every morsel of Scripture and I'm taking my time. No, there are some days I don't read as many chapters as they tell me I should read. And so my year long through the Bible has taken me about a year and a half. It's okay. And so uh, I am right now in about chapter 48 of Jeremiah. And uh, Jeremiah is a long book. Jeremiah is not necessarily written chronologically like a story, but it's almost like if you were to take Jeremiah's sermons and Jeremiah's conversations and kind of divide them up through the 50 chapters, uh, it takes place there. And in the middle, there is a little oasis from about chapter 29 to chapter 32. For anybody that says Jeremiah is one of my favorite books, it's probably because they like to quote something between 29 and 32. It's in this section that, that hope is amplified and hope is reminded to the people. And in this collection of Jeremiah's ministry that takes place over many years, there is this little oasis at the very center, almost at the core of his document that he writes. The other 48 chapters are doom and gloom. And I think about that. Why do we have 52 chapters in Jeremiah, but only four chapters in Philippians? Why do we have 52 chapters of Jeremiah and only 21 chapters of John? I would love to have 20 or 30 more chapters in Genesis that reminded me about the beginnings and how the world began and how God created everything and the patriarchs. I would love to have, you know, 10 or 15 more chapters in the Gospels about the life and the ministry of Jesus. I'll take 10 more chapters in Philippians and, you know, just encouragement about the Christian life. But 52 chapters in Jeremiah, I think to remind us that when even when life gets difficult and unpleasant and we don't know what's going to happen and the future is uncertain, even still, God is with us and God is for us. And there's a blessing for the people of God that is not going to be realized in the moment, but that's true ultimately about their life. So I want to read for you uh, most of the rest of the chapter in 29, because I think it gives us a context, not that undoes your favorite verse, but maybe even amplifies it, makes it even that much deeper and richer in terms of the promise that takes place in verse number 11. So uh, Jeremiah chapter 29, this is the text of the letter that the prophet Jeremiah sent from Jerusalem to the surviving elders among the exiles and to the priests, the prophets, and all the other people of Nebuchadnezzar had carried into exile from Jerusalem to Babylon. In other words, this is not written to the people who are still remaining. This is not written to just, you know, a few random people. The first people that were carried off were the leaders, the priests, the prophets. You know from the book of Daniel that Daniel and Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, they were some of the brightest and best young men of Judah that were carried off by Nebuchadnezzar. It's the best and the brightest that are there, and, and that's the people that... Jeremiah is writing to. This was after King Jehoiakim and the queen mother, the court officials, and the leaders of Judah and Jerusalem, the skilled workers and the artisans had gone into exile from Jerusalem. He entrusted the letter to Elazah, son of Shaphan, and to Gamariah, son of Hilkiah, 
whom Zedekiah, uh, king of Judah, sent to Nebuchadnezzar in Babylon. It said, This is what the Lord Almighty, the God of Israel, says to all those I carried into exile. Carried into exile in a foreign land from Jerusalem to Babylon. This is his message. Not, it's going to be okay. Not just hold on, you know, there was a mistake, but you're going to be back home soon. Not everything's going to be great. If you trust me, it'll be fine. He says, you're in a foreign land. You've been carried off. You've been deported. Here's my message of hope for you. Build houses. Settle down. Plant gardens and eat what they produce. Marry and have sons and daughters. Find wives for your sons and give your daughters in marriage so that they too may have sons and daughters. Increase in number there. Do not decrease. Also, seek the peace and prosperity of the city to which I have carried you into exile. Pray to the Lord for it, because if it prospers, you too will prosper. Yes, this is what the Lord Almighty, the God of Israel, says. Do not let the prophets and diviners among you deceive you. Do not listen to the dreams you encourage them to have. They are prophesying lies to you in my name. I have not sent them, declares the Lord. This is what the Lord says. When 70 years are completed for Babylon, I will come to you and fulfill my good promise to bring you back to this place. And then the verse, for I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans to prosper you and not to harm you, plans to give you hope and a future. Then you will call on me and come and pray to me, and I will listen to you. You will seek me and find me when you seek me with all of your heart, and I will be found by you declares the Lord, and bring you back from captivity. I will gather you from the nations and the places where I have banished you, declares the Lord, and will bring you back to the place from which I carried you into exile. And so this is verse 1 to verse 14, of which chapter 11 comes, you know, about two-thirds of the way through. And what he's saying, in the midst of everything you've experienced, and we've carried off the best and the brightest, and, and the whole, you know, nation is in turmoil, and the nation of Israel, 150 years before, has already been conquered. And the message is not, it's going to be okay. The message is not, just hold on for a little bit. The message is not, I know it doesn't feel good now, but it's going to feel better soon. The message is, I am in this, and I am the author of human history, and eventually it's going to be okay, but my timing is not your timing. 70 years. And so in the midst of 70 years, build houses. Settle down, have kids, raise kids. And he even goes a step further and he says, pray for peace and prosperity in the land. Maybe I'm less of a person than you, but the last thing I would want to pray for if I was carried off from my homeland into an enemy land that serves enemy gods, everything's unfamiliar and uncomfortable and undesirable, to pray for the peace and the prosperity of Babylon. I would be praying for another army or for God to raise up an army to defeat Babylon so I could go back home and go back to normal. And God says through Jeremiah, pray for the peace and the prosperity of the land that you're in. And just wait, because after 70 years, you're going to come back home. If you're an adult in that region, you will not see the return. The promise given is not for you, but maybe for your children or for your children's children. It's funny, we sang just a bit ago, you know, 
about a blessing that's for your children and their children. And oftentimes we think of that in such a way that I want to see my children and my children's children. But what if the blessing that was for two generations around was something that you never got to witness? But you were still entrusted to make happen that we live our lives not for ourselves, but for the betterment of the people that come behind us. That's Jeremiah's message. And as he writes this message of hope, it doesn't sound much like a message of hope. It doesn't sound much like a message of promise to a people who were at this point, poor and disadvantaged and in an uncomfortable place. And they didn't know the language. They didn't know the culture. It was not where they thought that they would be. It was not where all of their parents and grandparents told them about the land that they had lived in, how it was special, and it was from God, and God brought them there. And now they are somewhere else. Seventy years is a long time. When you look at it 2,500 years ago, it doesn't seem that long. After 70 years, I'm going to bring you back into a land and be like, okay, God's got this. God's going to do okay. When you bring it a little bit closer in history, 70 years is the time from the end of the Revolutionary War to the beginning of the Civil War. Seems like a long time, but not that long. But let's bring it in today. Let's just say that there was a definitive word that was given. Uh, COVID-19 is eventually going to go away, but it's going to happen in 2090. That would not be good news. That would not be encouraging. That would not be hopeful. So 70 years is a long time, even though we look at it with a lens of 2,500 years between us and then, and we think, surely you should be able to trust God because God is eventually going to bring you back. But what if the promise of God was seven decades away? Would you trust him? You see, I think we're faced with something that we all need to realize as 21st century Americans is that as as biblical and as pure as we desire our faith to be, there is still something that, that we like things to be instantaneous and there is a superficial part of us that kicks in. That we would never say, I follow God so that he makes my life good and happy and wonderful and everything always goes well for me. We would never say that. But how often do we, again, evaluate God on the basis of what's happening to me? And would we have faith enough to follow him, even if the end of the story, the final act of the story, the redemption of the story, did not take place until your grandchildren or your great-grandchildren were alive? And let me just say, I know that, that God is for you. And that God is with you and that the concerns of your heart are things that matter to God. And I don't, I don't think this verse, I don't want to go the other extreme to say that God doesn't care about our circumstances. That God's not involved, that God doesn't want good things for us, that God doesn't want you to be happy. Because I think that you are a child of his and he wants nothing but the best for you. But I think he also desires to cultivate within you and within me a faith that is not dependent on what have you done for me lately. A faith that does not rest on, I will follow you if and when you do A, B, C, and D. And when you don't do A, B, C, and D, now I'm going to question your goodness. Because while I'll never admit it, I know it to be true that I evaluate you on the basis of what you've done for me. So in the middle of where we are, yet I think there's a depth and a richness 
to the verse that we read in chapter in verse number 11. Let me share with you as we close just three quick things. The first is that the greatest promise and hope that we have, the greatest promise and hope that we have, not the only promise, not the only hope, but the greatest, the ultimate, the big picture promise and hope that we have is not found in our circumstances, but in the unchanging, unfailing, undefeated presence of God that is with me at all times. That does not make us smile because we, if you've come to church, you know about the presence of God. You know that God is always with you and will never leave you nor forsake you. And so sometimes we let that drift into the margin and we say the greatest promise and hope that I have is that God's going to give me a good life. The greatest hope, the ultimate hope, the big picture hope and promise we have is in the unchanging, unfailing, undefeated presence of God that is with you and for you, and will not abandon you or leave you, the presence of God that says, where you go, I go. And there's no situation or circumstance that you encounter that I haven't gone before you and go with you into. Because the truth of the gospel is Emmanuel, that God is with us. And that's not a one-time thing. And that's not just a spiritual statement, but it's true. And it's the bedrock of our faith. Secondly, I want to say, say this is, um, and maybe you've heard this phrase used in a variety of ways, but I can bloom wherever I am planted. The message to, to, that Jeremiah gave was not just hold on, it's going to be okay. Just hold your breath and endure Babylon, it'll be okay. He says, no, go ahead and plant vineyards, buy houses, raise your kids, do the things that you're going to do. Be faithful. Go ahead and, and live right where you are right now. Don't wait for the situation to get better. Don't wait for the optimal circumstances to serve. Don't wait all of a sudden for God to fix all the problems and then I'll get right with him. You have today. Today is where you live. And all its complexity and all its problems and all the things that you wish that were different. And so today can be a place where you can bloom because what causes you to bloom is not who you are, but the nutrients of the ground in which you were planted. And there's some pretty cool stuff that grows in manure. We don't want to live there, but there's some pretty cool things that grow there. And so wherever you are planted today, you can bloom there. And God can meet you there. The third thing is this. And this is tough for us, again, as 21st century Americans to, to read and to think about, but you may never see the legacy or the impact of your life. But we live for the purpose of eternity, and we live in light of eternity. I'll even say it a bit further, and I'll say it in the first person, so, you know, in case this is kind of a hard statement for you to hear, I'll say it about me. I hope that I don't see the full impact and legacy of my life. I'll say, Jesus says it this way, that for those people that, you know, seek to have the, the approval and all the accolades, he makes a statement that they've received their reward in full. But he said, for you, store up for yourselves treasures in heaven. And what I think that means is we can live our lives in such a way that everything we do, somebody says, thank you. Everything we do, somebody says, well, she's a great person. Everything we do, somebody says, I'm going to name this building after them. There's nothing wrong with receiving a compliment. 
But sometimes we pattern our lives in such a way that we want to receive everything that's due to us for what we've done. And I think the gospel imprints in us and what I want my life to be is I don't want to receive all my thank yous on this side of eternity. I don't want every little thing that I do to be noticed. But I hope that my life outlasts me because it is not about me. And it's okay to make a difference in some situation or someone's life that never comes back to benefit me because my life at the end should not be about benefiting me. So Jeremiah says to a group of people who have made the long, hard journey to Babylon and they're living in a distant land and it's not like they thought it was going to be. And he says, I want you to be faithful in the here and now and it's not even really going to benefit you but it's going to have a huge benefit upon the faith of your children and your grandchildren and your great-grandchildren. In fact, 500 years after that, the Messiah is going to come and part of what makes it the appropriate time for the Messiah to come is that there is such a longing in the people of God for something more. And I think that is birthed in this period of exile. When people begin to call out and seek God and long for a different reality than what they're currently living in. And again, sometimes we get stuck. That we evaluate life, we evaluate God on the basis of my life circumstances. And sometimes we act and give and serve only in a way because we want it to come back and benefit us. And that ends empty. And I think God's looking for a group of men and women who who say, I will so invest my life according to and in light of the fact that my greatest citizenship is not here, but it's in eternity. So I'm going to live for something that's bigger than myself, myself because my life in the end is not about me. But my primary purpose is to be faithful where he's put me. And the outcome and the results and the evaluation is not as much my concern as it is being faithful in the place where he's put me. And then he says this, for I know the plans I have for you. Not just for you, but for the people that come after you. I know the plans that I have for you, declares the Lord. They're plans to prosper you and not to harm you. They're plans to give you a hope and a future. If you'll take your eyes off yourself and your own circumstances. And so students, this is not the year that you hoped for. But yet this is the place that you've been planted. and You have the opportunity to bloom and to be faithful. to to the one who has called you by name. People have experienced far worse and and there's been a testimony that's come out of it that's given glory to God. Parents, you're living in in a foreign land where you don't even know where the grocery store is or where to get the things that you need, just like in Babylon. But there's work to be done. There's kids to raise and there's gardens to plant and there's the opportunity to be faithful inside of the here and now. Grandparents, empty nesters, young adults, if you're not somebody that a back-to-school blessing applies to, you still have the opportunity to live your life not for yourself, but for the sake of those who follow after. To live on behalf of the next generation. Whether that's in serving in children's ministry, youth ministry, whether that's in your faithful giving that makes, you know, a place where uh, children and youth and nursery school kids have the opportunity to experience Christ 
whether it's inside of your grandchildren or your nieces or your nephews, we all have the opportunity to live for something other than me. Where can you make a difference? Right here and right now. And maybe it's even just a testimony that springs forth from your life as you live inside of a pile of manure. But there's a testimony that comes forth from your life that gives honor and glory to God. And it says, my life is not about me. My, my faith is not interpreted by how good things are going. I don't evaluate God based on what's happening all around me. But I live in light of eternity and I live for and according to my citizenship in heaven. That's a hard place to be. And I wonder if Jeremiah's audience, when they first read that, say, yeah, right. It sounds good, but maybe Jeremiah's just trying to put a positive spin on a bad situation. Or maybe it really got to them when they thought about, yeah, this is maybe not for me, but I want something inside the life of the next generation that I can't realize. And whatever I can do to be faithful to that in the here and now is worth it because my life is not about me. Let's pray together. Let me ask you, ask you if, as we close, first of all, to be honest, just about the current circumstance that we're in. Again, I think God is in, intensely interested in your emotions and your feelings and your exhaustion and your frustrations. And I think God even desires to be active in the midst of all that. Today's message is not about just bad things are going to happen and it's okay, suck it up. But I think we honestly bring before him our needs and our concerns and our hurts and our disappointments, our struggles, our challenges. Asking that God somehow you would come in and do what we cannot do for ourselves. And so, Lord, we lift before you today the circumstances of our lives. They are not unimportant or unconcerning to you. Lord, we would ask that you would move inside of those situations. We ask that you would change realities. We ask that you would provide where we really need you to provide. But Father, we go on from there and we also say that regardless of how you move, we want to trust you even if the answer doesn't come in the manner or the timing that we desire, we want to trust you. Even despite the places where we now find ourselves, Lord, we want to be faithful to you. So God, we come to you right in the very context where you have us placed right now. And we ask that you would help us to be faithful Lord, would you continue just to lead us and guide us? And we ask that you would bless us and keep us and make your face to shine upon us. Lord, that we would have your peace even when it seems like we're living in a foreign land. These things we ask and we pray in the name of Jesus, our Lord and our Savior. Amen.